On today's episode, Melissa, an expert in business management, breaks down what are systems and processes for your online coaching business and how they can help you survive a recession. Next, we dive into the biggest mistakes Melissa sees coaches making and how to avoid it. Now, if you're considering adding systems and processes to your business, you're going to learn how to budget for it, as well as if you're looking to outsource, how to weed through and determine the best team members to hire to help you. And finally, we'll wrap up the episode with your one action step that you can help to implement in your business to help you build wealth today. Thank you and enjoy the show. Welcome to Building Your Wealth Muscle, a podcast about building and protecting wealth for online health and fitness coaches. Each episode, we're going to break down different topics in the areas of business, finance, and tax, and how they pertain to your coaching business. Disclaimer, the topics covered in this podcast are for educational purposes only. This is not advice for your specific situation. Please consult a qualified financial or tax professional before making changes to your financial or tax situation. Now, here's your host, certified financial planner, Pat Darby. How's it going, everybody? Today we have Melissa Gamara. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Melissa is a certified online business manager and Amazon best-selling author living in Salt Lake City, Utah. She started her business over three years ago while pregnant with her daughter and working a full-time job in business lending. After realizing how expensive it would be to find childcare, she decided to take her skills in management and accounting to the freelance world. Melissa now runs a multi-six-figure business specializing in helping online entrepreneurs scale through systems, processes, team management, and course launch strategy. Melissa, welcome to the Building Your Wealth Muscle podcast. How are you doing? So much. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, we're glad to have you. This is only the second episode, so hopefully it goes smooth. Happy to join you. Appreciate it. So let's dive right in. Your expertise is in helping online coaches with systems, processes, hiring. So before we dive into how, to give people that may not be familiar like a high-level overview of what does that mean to, like, what is a system process? Obviously, hiring people might know, yeah. but um, whatever you can explain to people. Yeah. So, in any type of business, you should essentially be having something that's called an SOP or a, a standard operating procedure. And essentially, a standard operating procedure or SOP is basically the instructions for how you run your business. So if you've ever worked for like a brick and mortar company, a lot of times they'll have things like operations manuals, or they'll have uh, a set amount of video trainings that you'll go through that document how that particular workplace functions and things that you need to know in order to be able to execute your job effectively. So in the online world, this is a little less commonly known because when you're in the online world, a lot of times other people who work for you are also in the online world and have a general understanding of how online businesses work. And so this is something that often gets overlooked. So really, all online businesses should have this quote-unquote operations manual set up for their business, detailing how their businesses run, what types of systems they use, what types of processes they follow. So for fitness individuals in specific, 
since I know that that's your niche, we'll kind of focus it on that. So for fitness individuals, think of it this way. You more than likely have a process that you take your clients through in order to get them from point A, where they are, to point B, which is maybe wherever their their first goal is, or maybe it's just the next step along their journey to get to their end goal. So you have a process that you take them through, right? And more than likely, you're going to evaluate what they're currently eating. You're going to have them document what, what types of foods they're eating as you get them into a meal plan. You're going to craft a meal plan based on what they are trying to do. There's all these things that go into this quote-unquote process. Well, it's easy to think of it in that term, but when you think about how your business runs, the back end of your business, there's a process regarding how you get clients. There's a process for how you onboard clients. There's a process for all of the pieces that actually make your business run And SOPs are really just the documentation of those systems and those processes that are used throughout your business. So I hope that helps give some clarity as to some of the things that I specialize in. So a lot of times I'll come into businesses and I'll help them not only identify those things, but also document those things so that their business can run a little bit more smoothly, so that they can potentially bring on additional coaches or owners. They can potentially gain outside funding because they now have a packet. They have an owner's manual. They have an operations manual. They understand what's going on and can articulate that to an outside investor, things of that nature. So basically it helps them get their result for their client in a repeatable, organized fashion. Yeah, absolutely. And also helps you really scale your business in the long run, right? Whatever that looks like for you, whether that's getting it to a point where you can bring in outside funding, whether it's bringing on co-coaches, whether it's bringing on additional, you know, owners or maybe a C-suite, you know, I know that isn't super typical in online businesses, but that's kind of the theory here, right? Is turning your business into an asset that works for you, both by getting repeatable results for your clients, but also getting repeatable results for you where you're getting consistent clients, where you're able to, you know, potentially hire on more people, which I know we're going to talk about all of those fun things. Yeah. I really like that because when I have a new client, I always ask them like to like describe 20 years from now, how they envision the company to look. Cause I really want to know like, what are you trying to do? Like if you're trying to sell the business or if you never have any aspirations to do so, you just want a really high profit solo business. So I really like what you're doing there cause that you are also getting them to whatever that exit is so that, you know, we all exit our business somehow. Exactly. So again, like this, this podcast is about helping fitness coaches either build wealth, one thing to help them build wealth or one thing to help them protect their wealth. And one thing that I thought was interesting, you said that through systems and processes, you can actually help your business to survive an economic downturn, like the next COVID or something like that. Could you tell us more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So this is actually the first time that I personally have owned a business through some type of economic downturn or disaster or whatever you want to call it. I still remember going through 2008, not as a business owner, but as somebody who had parents in the workforce, I was old enough to remember 
that economic downturn and and one of my parents losing their job, like continually getting laid off for several years kind of after that. Right. And I know that it crippled tons of businesses. And so going through covid, we saw a lot of the same things. Right. A lot of restaurants in particular that did not have systems and processes in place, or at least the systems and processes they did have were so ingrained into the way that they were doing business that they weren't malleable and they weren't able to pivot in an effective way or a quick way and essentially lost income. And unfortunately, there there were a lot of things at play, right, that affected the restaurant industry. But in the online business, we saw a lot, a lot of boom, honestly. And especially if you were an online fitness coach, a lot of people were looking for ways to work out from home. And so on the, on the flip side, people also saw increase in their business. Now, where do SOPs play a role in either of those situations, right? Because it seems a little haphazard. However, SOPs really are the bedrock of your business. So if you think about your business as a house and you think about like SOPs, your systems, your processes and how you do things, these are the foundation of that house. You can't just like walk up to an empty lot and start building a house. The walls will fall in on each other. So you have to build this foundation. So think of SOPs as this foundation. Well, if you have a solid foundation for a business that is functioning, right? Essentially, your business is in a better place to hire new people in the event that you're experiencing growth and hire those people, onboard them quickly and give them the training materials so that they can basically jump into action and start like quickly helping you out and alleviating some of that stress. So that's how they affect you on the side of economic upturn, right? Like in the event that one of these crazy disasters actually is beneficial for your business. Now, in the opposite hand, it can also help make sure that you have the SOPs in the event that you have to downsize. So let's say you have maybe 10 coaches that are working for you. If you have SOPs for exactly how to do you know, every single thing in your business, let's say some coaches specialize in maybe strength training versus some of your coaches are more geared towards helping maybe geriatric patients. If you have SOPs for each of those types of customers, you can then downsize and still keep all of those customers, but cross train the people who are on your team in other areas and say, hey, we need to downsize our team. Everybody needs to kind of pick up the slack. Here's the SOPs for the things that I need you to pick up the slack on. So it really helps you cross-train people and make sure that you can effectively still service. So it helps you still be able to effectively service your clients while potentially experiencing downsizing. It also allows you to pivot really quickly because if you have a solid understanding of your systems and your processes and how things are working, you can really easily look at those things and say, okay, we no longer can train clients in the gym. Well, how do we effectively pivot and still keep this same system in place so that our clients don't necessarily experience too much of a hiccup? How do we still service our clients and meet the needs of those clients, but change change our systems just a little bit 
to basically coincide with what's going on. Does that does that make sense? Yeah. If you could give the listeners like an example of a system that you would talk about that you could quickly downgrade or something like that if the recession hits or. Yeah. So I'll, I'll use a very obvious system that a lot of people went to was Zoom, right? So if you were in person and you had to quickly make an adjustment of like, how do we still see clients, but we can't see them in person? Well, the easiest one was Zoom. There were so many people who were already using it that existed in the online space. So that was a natural transition to shift from in-person, this this quote-unquote system of being in-person, to an online system like Zoom, or there were, I think, Teams, you can use Google Meet. There's lots of those that you can use to service your clients remotely, right? Or if you're seeing clients in person and you need to go over maybe they're writing out on a tracker, like on a piece of paper, what it is that they're eating. You could potentially shift over to a system like MyFitnessPal where they can share that information with you and they're not having to like bring a physical piece of paper to you or print out a physical piece of paper like maybe they don't have a printer, something like that. So just shifting ever so slightly to meet people where they are. And this is essentially how businesses survive and and become adaptable over time and make sure that they're not susceptible to these ebbs and flows of the economic market, which is unfortunately fickle. What do you see as a common mistake when people hit an economic downturn like COVID? Obviously, COVID, sometimes, like we talked about, probably was helpful for a lot of people listening, or it drove them to be online if they were in the gym themselves. What are common mistakes do you see people make in their business when a disaster hits economically what and what should they have done differently? Yeah. So honestly, I wouldn't even necessarily say that the mistake was during COVID. It actually really, the biggest mistake that I saw was kind of pre-existing was that people had put all their eggs in one basket, right? Which in the online business space, a lot of times we have Things like, oh, we have a course going on. We have one-on-one services. We maybe have a group program. There's lots of different things. And there's lots of balls in the air because the online space is diverse and it provides a lot of opportunity, which is fantastic. But if you're maybe in person and that's like your bread and butter, you may have, like if things are going fantastic and you're like, yes, 2020 is going to be my year. You've put all your eggs in this basket of like, things just continuing the way that they're going. And so the biggest problem that I saw is that people had put all their eggs in this one basket. And then all of a sudden we have this major shift and it it took some time for people to like shift to make that change. And so not only putting your eggs in one basket, but also not making the shift quick enough, which again, I could, I could Monday night quarterback this, all I wanted to, right? We can all say like, oh, you should have been faster. Oh, you should have been, you should have been here. You should have done this. But at the end of the day, I think it's always wise. And you as somebody in the finance world know this really well, it's always smart to diversify, right? So one of the biggest mistakes that I see all entrepreneurs make is to say that like, I offer one-on-one services. I offer them in this way, 
and this is just what I like. So I'm going to do this one thing and I'm going to be really good at this one thing and I'm not going to do anything else. Well, then all it takes is one thing that sweeps the legs out under that and you're screwed, unfortunately. And, and we saw a lot of that in COVID where there were, especially I, again, I'm going to go back to the restaurants because it was such a profound problem. You know, we saw all these restaurants crumble. And part of that was because a lot of them had put all their eggs in this one basket of like, I have customers that come into my shop, my brick and mortar location, and they get food. And that's just how we do things. We don't offer takeout. We don't offer uh, curbside pickup. We don't offer any of these things because we don't have to. Well, then COVID comes, people can't go out to dinner and you've put all your eggs in this one basket. And so then you're essentially having to scramble and put a whole new business model together from scratch because you haven't diversified. You haven't figured out ways to bring in more income through a diversified means. So that's, I think, the biggest mistake that I see from people is not diversifying enough in what they offer to people. That makes sense. Is there what sort of challenges do people run into when you propose that? And even if they are open minded to it, do they run into hiccups when they're sort of on one hand, they're they want to be hyper focused and niche. And like you said, the other hand, they want to be diversified so they don't have all their eggs in one basket. Yeah. So one of the biggest, 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 um, I won't say excuses because it's not really an excuse. It is still valid. People will tell me that they don't have time, which again, if you have, if you have a full practice of people that are working with you, right? Let's say you, you offer one-on-one in-person like client training sessions, right? And potentially you charge a premium for them, which fantastic. That's great. Well, you have a full roster of clients, you're a busy person, and that's that's valid. However, at some point in time, like you reach max capacity and you're gonna have to diversify anyway. So really it's about making the time, and sometimes that means scaling back for a little bit so that you can make some more time to diversify. Because in the long run, it's going to help you whether you're only doing trainings in person, whether you're doing one-on-one trainings online. Either way, like if you're a singular person, you're going to run into that that metaphorical ceiling, right? Where you can't grow beyond yourself because you haven't taken the time to build out these SOPs so that you can hire somebody. You haven't taken the time to build a course so that you can serve more people with less time on your part. So that's probably one of the biggest things that people will tell me or the biggest like setback is that it takes time to diversify, unfortunately. Like it just takes time. Sometimes it takes money and, and resources in other ways to diversify. So that can be a little bit of a hiccup that people will run into of like, oh crap, I don't have, I don't have another hour in my day right now. And sometimes that means putting your children to bed and working until you go to bed. Like there are unfortunate trade-offs to being an entrepreneur, right? Which sometimes in order to diversify and remain competitive, it's a give and a take situation. So it's really about prioritizing your time so that you can make room for this diversification, if you will. 
Makes sense. So I want to run through two hypothetical scenarios and please give us sure. your, your advice on how they should handle it. So in the first scenario, be an online fitness coach that is listening. Their business is soaring. They're, they're one man band at the moment or one woman band clients revenue are flowing in. So, but they're getting stressed out. What should their next step be to buy back some time and start to put some systems in place? Yeah. So in that particular case, I'm going to assume that this person does not have SOPs because I feel like most of the people that I talk to don't. So we're going to assume that this person does not have SOPs and you said they're a one-person show. So first and foremost, they need to figure out what is their goal. If their goal is to continue to work with people one-on-one, they don't really want to bring on more coaches, but they need to free up some of the time. So maybe they need to automate certain things. They need to have a virtual assistant respond to emails, do client check-ins, et cetera, et cetera. Then I would highly suggest going the route of creating SOPs in a video format, which essentially is just using something like Loom or Zoom or any other screen recording uh, software to basically walk through while recording your screen, walking through how you do particular things. So for example, how you would do client check-ins. And you would just talk through, as people can watch your screen, how you're doing things, what you're clicking on, and and give them step-by-step instructions. This is a really simple, time-saving way to make SOPs so that you can hire somebody. I highly recommend you also have written ones, but I understand that when you're first starting out creating your SOPs, it can be really time-consuming. So in an effort to consolidate some of that, I recommend starting with these video SOPs and then looking for somebody to come in and do a couple of supportive things so that you can outsource, you know, administrative style tasks to that person. If you're looking to bring on more coaches so that you can take on more clients, essentially, then again, you're going to need to document how you onboard clients how you check in with clients, what's expected of that coach, et cetera, et cetera, to make sure that quality assurance is being met with that new coach, right? So again, using like a screen recording software is a great way to do that. And then going out and finding somebody to come in, fill that role. And then you already have all of the trainings already prepared for that person. Well, that that makes a lot of sense. And I think you partially answered the second hypothetical, which would be if someone was brand new and wants to get off on the right foot, but doesn't have the budget to hire. It sounds like a lot of these processes don't require any money if it's like a loom or something. But so would that be your advice for someone just starting off that wants to get off on the right foot? Yeah, absolutely. So loom actually only lets you record up to five minutes unless you have, I think it's like 10 bucks a month is their subscription. I know Zoom allows you to record for up to 45 minutes without a paid subscription. So that one might be a better solution if you're looking to really like be super minimal on cost. But yeah, it's it's a really great way for you to prepare your business. Again, starting at building the foundation for your quote unquote house to sit on top of, right? I personally always suggest that people just be building their SOPs kind of in the background as they're trying to grow their business and they're trying to figure out 
what it is that they're doing. Because the other thing to note is that when you are building your business, a lot of times it can be a little haphazard, right? Like things can kind of get thrown together sometimes. So if you're keeping in mind that you have to like document all of your processes, the way that you're doing things, uh, it tends to organize that a little bit more so that you're more likely to actually set up the correct process so that things are a lot more clean and organized and they they feel a little bit better from a user experience so that once people do come on, start working with you, they're like, wow, this person has a really fantastic onboarding system. They took me through this really great process. They really understood my needs and I got X, Y, and Z results out of it then they're more likely to refer people to you who will have the same result because you have these processes in place. So as I mentioned, it's it's the foundation for your house, right? It's the thing that holds it all together. No, that's great. I I wish I had that advice when I first started because I've been building workflows for the last two years now. And like every, I wish I had done it from the beginning because now I'm like going through, now I can't do a task without writing everything down. Like it's just habitual now. So as a rule of thumb, if that exists, um, if you're an online coach deciding when they should start hiring, when to start adding systems, is it based on revenue, number of clients? Like, is there a rule of thumb when someone should really start to specifically outsource it, not just do it themselves, like building the SOPs, but specifically start bringing someone on and like adding it to their budget? Yeah, so I... I have an accounting background, right? So that's what I went to college for, funny enough. Um, So a lot of times they'll tell you that your business expenses should not exceed more than like 25 or 30% of your total revenue. So if you look at, let's say you're bringing in $10,000 a month, you're really killing it, right? You're charging clients a premium. You're working with fantastic people, love and life. So if you take into consideration all of the software that you pay for, all of the expenses of running your business, right? Whether that's like maybe you have branded t-shirts, maybe you have to drive to and from an actual physical location, things like that, expenses for your business. And then you think about maybe you want to have an administrative assistant. Well, if you look at your overall finances and you say, okay, I can afford to spend let's say up to $3,000 out of this 10 grand on various business expenses, whether, and then take all of your subscriptions and things like that out of the $3,000 and maybe you're left over with $2,000 a month. Well, that's a sizable budget for somebody to be an admin. If you're looking for somebody like me to come in and do like all of your systems, all of your processes, manage your team, et cetera, et cetera, you probably want to be closer to that $3,000 a month range. Typically, these people work potentially up to part-time hours, but most of them are freelancers because if you work in the online space, almost everybody is a freelancer. For now, we're, we're moving to a more remote world where people are employees that can work remote. But up through this point, most people who work remote are freelancers of some sort. So I would budget, you know, about two or 3000 if you want somebody like me to come in and do all of your SOPs and stuff. However, if you have all of them written at, or uh, I'm sorry, done in video format, you can easily have an admin just come in and say, 
like, hey, I have maybe an SOP template that, that you download and then just say, hey, can you lay these out this what I've said in this video in this template for me and just, you know, let me I'll look it over once it's done and make sure that it looks correct. Right. Something like that is going to cost you less than having somebody like me come in and do all this big SOP build out, all of the things. So it really depends on like what you want for your business, where you're at in your business. But if you're doing, if you're doing really well and maybe you don't have any SOPs documented and you have enough room in that quote unquote 25% to 30%, you know, range of your, your revenue, you can easily hire somebody like myself an online business manager to come in and do this whole build out for you. And it's not going to put any financial stress on your business. So that's kind of a a long winded answer. But anytime you're talking about finances for businesses, like it's, it can be really hard to talk in general terms, but I try to tell people like, try not to spend more than 25 to 30% of your overall revenue on any expenses for the business. So hiring systems, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And so, in that regard, if they were bringing someone like yourself on, it's it's not necessarily the full year. Like you come in, do the overhaul. So, in that example, if it's two or three thousand dollars, that's that's on a monthly budget versus it's not two or three thousand right. every month for the year, theoretically. So it depends. On, yeah. So it depends on the person. Um, I work with businesses in more long term contracts, so it is monthly. Okay. However, you hire people like me to just come in and do projects and they may break it out over a couple of months or they may have you pay 50% up front and 50% after the fact. Everybody runs their business a little differently. So you, you know, if you're looking for somebody to just come in, do the SOP overhaul and really build that all out, more than likely you would hire them for a project. They would have a project fee. I have zero idea what what the range is for like a project of that size, depending on, again, who the person is, what exactly you're asking them to do. But for me, if you wanted to work with somebody long-term to continually like maintain those SOPs, maintain anybody that works on your team, like an admin of some sort, make sure that things are functioning in the background and you focus on just bringing in money, that's more of an ongoing thing, and that's where that two to three thousand dollars each month kind of comes in. Again, those are just I'm basing those strictly off of what my rates are, what I. Everybody's a little bit different, so if you're maybe thinking to yourself like, "Wow, that sounds like a lot. I don't, I don't quite have that in my budget, but I do want somebody to come in and maybe handle some of the pieces of my business that I just, I just don't want to handle." Um, just do some digging. There's tons of people like me. You can simply do a Google search and find a whole registry of certified online business managers and they all charge varying rates. And you may find somebody who's closer to maybe that $1,500 a month range. So it's always worth looking, but understanding your budget beforehand is really crucial to not only finding the right person, but to making sure that you don't get in over your head. You don't sign a contract for more than you can afford all of that. Can you explain to listeners? Cause that you brought up a good point like this certified. There's so little 
regulation in the online space. It's sort of the Wild West. So talk to us, I guess, about your credential as a certified online business manager. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a, oh my gosh, I can't even think of what it's called. A federation. I apologize. It took me forever to get that part. There's a federation that is in charge of certified online business managers, OBMs. It is an international federation. So regardless of if they're US-based, Canada-based, doesn't really matter. All over the globe, if you are a certified, if you have certified in your name as an OBM, it means that you've gone through this one training and you have been certified by this one company. So that's how you can trust that that person has gone through the appropriate trainings. They actually understand how to manage a business. They've had to take a test. They've had to, you know, prove that they know what they're doing. So it's a little bit of a checks and balances system for people who are hiring. It also helps the people who are certified really make sure that they're providing the best service that they can to their clients, that they're steering them in the right direction. Like myself, as I mentioned, I have an accounting background. I don't have this actual like management degree. That's not where I came from. I did manage people in a previous position, but it was a little bit happenstance. Like it kind of just fell in my lap. So it's not where I thought I was headed, but this was a really nice way for me to make sure that I actually knew what I was doing, that I was actually giving people advice that would be helpful for their business, making sure that I truly understood the services that I was offering people. So there are people out there that will call themselves online business managers, but usually if they're not certified, they they won't put certified in their name. If they're not certified, we actually have a badge. Mine's on my website. Most OBMs have it on their website. That's a badge that has their name on it. And you can only get that from this federation after you've been certified. So that's one way that you can check and make sure. I've never run into somebody who says they're certified that's not certified because I think they could get in a lot of trouble. But you'll often see people who are not certified OBMs call themselves an OBM slash VA. VA is a virtual assistant. So when you see this, I always tell people just buyer beware it's fine for that person to call themselves that, although more often than not, they're a VA that's actually charging just a really high price for being a VA. If you think about like a brick and mortar situation, a virtual assistant really is like maybe the assistant to the CEO or the front desk person versus an OBM is going to be like a general manager or potentially up to even maybe COO status, depending on the things that they do. So it seems a bit odd for the COO to also sit at the front desk, right? Like you would never see the COO do the same jobs that somebody at the front desk does. So it's important to note that in the online space, like words have meaning, right? So if you call yourself a virtual assistant, it's kind of hard to also be your own manager. So an online business manager is somebody who manages the team, so if you are both the team and the manager, it it just doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense. So I always tell people like just buyer beware. Just make sure that if you are talking to that person and you feel like they would be a great fit to your team, fantastic. That's perfectly fine. But just note that they maybe have maybe talk to them about their goals, like maybe they're trying to become a certified OBM. Just 
just keep in the back of your mind that they maybe have a different path that they're trying to go on. And if that doesn't align with where your business is at, then you need to have that conversation. So that was kind of a lot. That was a little bit of a tangent. So I apologize. But yes, there are certified OBMs. There are OBMs. And then there's sometimes even OBM slash VAs. So there's a lot of terminology there just to be aware of. So if you're looking for a VA, try to just get a VA. If you're looking for an OBM, try to just get an OBM uh, because they're very different people. No, I I think that's extremely helpful because I know I'm not the only person when you're trying to find someone to help you. If you go into the social media world, it's really hard to differentiate who's great at sales and who's actually got the credentials and the the expertise. So I think that's really helpful. And And sometimes you'll even see people who are like, oh, I'm a VA and I'm a social media manager and I'm a Facebook ad specialist. And so my, my advice as far as like, whenever you're looking to hire anybody, just remember jack of all trades, master of none, right? Like if you want somebody who's really good at what they do, find somebody who focuses on that particular area and hire that person, right? Specialists tend to charge a little bit more, but they tend to get better results a lot of times. Um, So I know that's not always, so don't come for me, people who are listening. Be like, I hired a social media manager and they said they were a specialist in charge of premium and they got me nothing. <laughs> I get that all the time where people be like, oh, this happened to me. Like, I understand there's outliers, but more often than not, if you hire somebody who's a specialist, who's just one thing, they're more likely to get you better results. And a lot of times if they get good results, they they charge a premium for that. So just be aware. I completely agree with that. So for listeners, I want to recap this. So again, we want to leave you guys with one action step that they can do today. Now, again, everything in this podcast is going to be about either building wealth inside or outside of your business or protecting wealth, which is a lot less sexy. But really, again, Melissa will go into how SOPs can actually protect your business if the economy is down or even if you personally get sick and you need someone to step into the business you know, all of those things are there. So I'll let Melissa give us the one action step for you to, you can start today, whether no matter what size your business is. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about, about SOPs and kind of how to, how to get started with those. Um, it can seem a little overwhelming for people to like, especially if they already have a business that's like kind of rolling can seem a little bit overwhelming to, start creating all these SOPs because there's a lot of things that go on in your business. So I always, always, always will recommend that people start with a list of just all the tasks that exist in their business and then take that task and prioritize them based on the first category being things I want to outsource. The second category being things I maybe have already outsourced. If you don't have that, you can skip that one. And then the third thing being things that I'm doing, and that list will probably be pretty long. But I like to categorize those three different things so that people understand, okay, where do I need to focus my attention first, right? On that first priority of things that you want to outsource. So if you create this list and you segment it out into those three different types of columns, that gives you a really great starting point so that when you move into creating SOPs, 
you can have a tangible place to start. It doesn't feel so overwhelming. And really, it's the best way for you to actually move the needle and start growing your business and actually outsourcing things. So that's what I would recommend is go and create this list, segment it out into those three different categories, and then go from there. Do you have any technology that I recommend for that, like a task manager or anything that you would put those tasks in or just anywhere? A Word document. <laughs> okay. Keep it simple. Yeah, that that one I'm I'm really simple about it. You absolutely could put it into a task manager if you wanted to. I'm a little old school. You could even write it down on like a notepad if you wanted to. I just think having this list somewhere, anywhere, whatever works for you is the best starting point. Um putting it in a place where you're already comfortable is probably a great way to start just so that you're not like jumping into a task manager when you're like, I don't even understand how this works. You know what I mean? So Word documents are pretty simple. Most people understand those. So potentially start there, maybe even start more handwritten if that's, if that's your style, but uh, just start somewhere. That's perfect. Well, thank you so much. If our listeners wanted to learn more about you, your company, or would like you to help them, what's the best way for them to find you? Yeah, so I am on social media uh, at Melissa Gamara Management, which I believe I uh, gave you the links yeah, for. Yeah, this will all be in the show notes. Perfect. So I'm on Facebook and Instagram. I'm real simple. I try not to be everywhere. And then I also have a Facebook group specifically for female entrepreneurs just to get some additional tips and potentially ask me questions. So that is the Powerhouse Women's uh, Circle on Facebook. That's a group. It's a private group. So that link is also in the show notes. If you are looking to hire, but you're like, I really don't know what I'm doing. I don't know who I'm looking for. I've never done this before. I have a workshop that is, I believe, $37 that I also gave you the link for that goes all into how to create SOPs, how to onboard people, how to find the right people, Uh, and get them implemented into your business in 10 days or less. So if you're interested in that, the link is also uh, in the show notes, I guess, right? Yep. They'll all be in the show notes. And the last question for anyone looking to potentially work with Melissa is, do you have an ideal client that you prefer to work with or do you best work with? Yeah. So I typically work with coaches, not necessarily specific to the fitness industry, although I do have some of those in my repertoire. But primarily, I work with people who are already online in some capacity because I am an online business manager, people who offer one-on-one services or consulting uh, style offers, people who are looking to build out courses in their business. So people who are really already in in this online space that have already kind of established that for themselves and that are coaches, identify as coaches. I do primarily work with women, although again, I have male clients in my repertoire as well. So really, I don't have any specific gender. If you are male and you want to work with me, come talk to me. It'll be fine. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much, Melissa. I appreciate you joining us today on the Building Out Your Wealth Muscle podcast. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It was a blast. Thank you for joining us this week on Building Your Wealth Muscle. Make sure you visit our website, darbyba.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. While you're at it, if you found value, we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes 
or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us as well. For more information on the topics covered, you can follow Pat on Instagram at PatDarbyBiz. The download from this episode is available in the show notes. And if you want help building your wealth specifically, Pat Darby is currently taking private clients. The link to book a call is also in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and have a great day.